I'm not good because I'm a woman. I'm a good woman judge. And that leads us straight into our thinking point this morning. Let me welcome onto the show Professor Bonita Meersfield, uh, who is an Associate Professor of Law at Wits University. Professor Meersfield, good morning to you. Good morning, Kathy. It's so important that we have the conversation around transformation of the country's legal system. It has come up in every single one of these interviews that we have seen last week. And there's very interesting research that was done. I see this report was compiled in 2014. But the question here that, that is being asked was why there has been so little change at the senior level of the legal profession, especially in respect of the intersection between race and gender. If I were to give you an opportunity to try and answer that question, Professor Mesfeld. Thanks, Kathy. There are many reasons. Um, The key one uh, as a result of that was that became evident as a result of the research you're referencing, which I think is the research um, done by the Center of Applied Legal Studies, I was involved in that research, was a narrative from interviewees, particularly black women, who spoke about points of exit throughout the profession. And while women, and particularly women of color, tend to dominate the top echelons of the graduating classes out of university, they face so many structural and deeply patriarchal barriers throughout their legal career that it becomes almost impossible for them to, uh, and this is, this is the narrative from colleagues, it becomes almost impossible to navigate those barriers without actually compromising one's own well-being. And so one faces being uh, rendered invisible at meetings. There was uh, a narrative around the first 15 minutes of a meeting being so crucial because if you don't say anything within the first 15 minutes, then everyone will assume you're irrelevant. If you do say something within the first 15 minutes, it better be brilliant because otherwise people would just look at you askance. Whereas if one of the white male colleagues said it, they would come with an automatic um, a, a, a legitimacy because that's what the legal profession looks like. And the legal profession is deeply hierarchical. The time that you're at, that is the, the period of time in which you are in practice, either as an attorney or an advocate or a judge, is very relevant to the seniority of a person and who's been in practice the longest, white men. And so the idea that there's a death of black women at the top echelons of the legal profession uh, because of some essentializing nature of women is a a common and um, unexpressed narrative. Uh, When Justice Mahueng Mahueng was uh, considering new appointees after the retirement of Justice Musumeke, he said, we will have, uh, we will work hard to appoint a female uh, justice, but make no mistake, there will still be a justice of quality. And that echoes the sentiment that women who are at the top echelons and particularly black women, are there for reasons other than relating to their uh, intellectual acumen capability, 
insight and uh, judicial prowess. But the opposite is in fact the case. Uh, the, the famous uh, African-American uh, legal scholar wrote about how for black women, you're running a race, the same race as white men, but for black women, you're running it with hurdles and you have to leap over those hurdles. Mm. You have to be fitter, you have to be stronger. The men don't have those hurdles and they steamroll ahead and look back over their shoulders at the women trying to clear these hurdles and say, well, why can't you keep up? There must be something wrong with you. Mm. I want to look at the issue of what transformation is before we get a bit uh, deeper into these barriers that you're so clearly outlining. When we talk about transformation of the legal system, what does that mean very practically? I think transformation as a word has become a little bitter on people's tongues. We've been speaking about it for 25 years. And so the concept to which it relates is one of in my view, and it's really, there are many interpretations of it, but in my view, it is based on two, transformation is, is achieved when two factors arise. The first is when you have representation throughout the hierarchy of the legal profession that is commensurate with the, uh, the demographics of the country. So black women constitute, women in South Africa constitute over 50% just about over 50% of the population. So as a starting point, 50% of the top judges, 50% of the top lawyers and advocates should be women. Uh, of, of those women, only 4% are white women. So therefore, 96% of female judges should be women of color and black women in particular. Then the same demographics apply with 4% being white men, whereas you see the complete inverse. The majority of people at the top echelons in the legal profession are white men. And yet we must interrogate why that is, and I know that's the question that you, you um, put on hold for a moment. But the reality is we have an inversion of representation at the top levels of the legal profession. That, uh, which is inverse to the demographics of the population. The second point is where we actually recreate a workplace that doesn't have people of color, women, and particularly black women, as guests. At the moment, there is this notion of affirmative action or, yes, we will allow you into our club. We will welcome you into our club, but you must act by our rules. You must act by our behavior. You must adopt our practices and customs. And those practices and customs can be terribly alienating, and they can also undermine the capability of people. So when Chief Justice, uh, when, me, when Justice Meyer, in her interview, responded to the statement that she has broken a glass ceiling when she responded with a very authentic uh, and, and visceral display of deep emotion. Mm. To my mind, that's the compassion that we need in judges. And I think what is a positive aspect of this entire process, which has correctly triggered enormous criticism, is that we have the potential to revise 
leadership in in the legal profession to one that is about um, hostility towards women uh, and one that actually is about compassion towards people. When we look at, you know, just this report that, that I've been referencing and you're right, it is uh, the one conducted by the Centre for Applied Legal Studies. In terms of some of the barriers that they set out and found that particularly black women face throughout their legal careers, I found it interesting that top of that list was a shortage of jobs and few connections to establish members of the profession. What do connections mean um, in the legal fraternity? Why are they important? And why do they seem to make or break the kind of opportunities that one is able to access? Networks are essential in life in general. It's one of the key determinants of how you are able to live your life. If you, for example, uh, come from a home where you've had elite education, where you have parents or a parent who is in a high position in industry or the profession or whatever the case may be, they, in all likelihood, will be friends with people in that at that level, uh, and there'll be Sunday afternoon brides where matters of law or leadership, politics will be discussed, and that person will grow up fluent in that language and understanding, fluent in that behavior. And then when it comes to having um, a vacation job, an internship, they pick up the phone to their friend and say, can I get this internship? And the friend says, but of course, come in and you can job shadow me. And so by the time you get to the point where you're actually applying for jobs, you've had three years of holiday internships, vacation work in one of the top law um, attorney's offices uh, and firms in the, world, in the country. And then you have someone who has no contacts, who has come from uh, an education, a public education system, who has gone through university, probably trying to support themselves and in all likelihood, extended members of the family, who have managed that, notwithstanding that, to achieve excellently, come into an interview to a group of strangers, none of whom look like him or very few people who look like her, and nonetheless nails that interview. When those two people arrive at the elevator doors open for the first day of work, they are at a completely different level of comfort. And the privileged person, who is usually white and who is usually a white man, but not you know, white woman too, will walk out of that elevator into an environment of friendly banter, knowing exactly what to do, where to go. The other person will walk into the most foreign environment imaginable and having to learn not only how to navigate a very difficult career move, but also how to navigate the uncertainty spoken behavior and rules. So that's where networks become enormously important. And it's one of the key differentials that keeps white people in positions of power and black people excluded from, as I said before, those tables of industry and profession where they become guests invited, notwithstanding that the person who has not come from privilege, the person who has work their way into the profession, sure. notwithstanding all those um, obstacles, is probably a much more capable lawyer. 
Professor Maysfield, I want us just to continue for a couple of minutes after the latest uh, news headlines. It's 9.30. Nomsam Gluli is standing by. We'll also be taking your calls shortly. We continue the conversation on the talking point for our thinking point today. We are reflecting on just why it is that there is such little diversity or representation, uh, particularly of, of black women. Um, when it comes to the country's legal system. Uh, Profe professor Bonita Mayersfield is an associate professor of law at Wits University, and she's joining us for this conversation. You know, Professor Mayersfield, as you were talking about, you know, these barriers that have been identified and the issues of connections, networking, um, it, it's, it's, it says to me that in order to be successful, in a profession like the legal profession, and I don't know that it's limited to just the legal pr profession, there is a certain assimilation that needs to take place. And your success sometimes is dependent on the extent to which you may or may not be willing to assimilate to a particular culture. Uh, you know, you talk about the weekend gatherings, conversations over bribes, and, and the research found that these are just some of the, you know, social activities that some uh, black people would find alienating. And and so that means that in order to, to change your position in that organization or that law firm, you have to get used to those gatherings. You have to behave a certain way, say certain things. Um, to, to create future opportunities for yourself. Yes, I, I think that's right, and there are a number of reasons why that is highly problematic. The first is, why should one have to change? Why should one have to um, engage in a culture, a way of behaving, a way of speaking, in order to be a... a professional and excellent member of the professional industry. Why is that necessary? Why is it that because it's been a certain way for so long, because we, we've had people in power for so long having a particular way of life, why is it that new entries have to adapt to that? Why can the profession, why should the profession not adapt to the multitude of amazing cultures, realities, in this country, and make no mistake, the Sunday drive is not the reserve, and I really don't mean to suggest this is white men and elite families. Right? There, there are different ways in which are created. Um, my, my point simply is that, and I think it's the reason why the Pan-African Bar Association of Southern Africa, Tabasa, was created, because it is a it is a black bar as opposed to a largely white bar. And that's why you have total black ball firms arising as opposed to your traditional white firms. And you use labels like that as uncomfortable as they are because the reality is one who is not white and predominantly one who is not male, again, acknowledging that white women have a very, very different level of comfort in those uh, circumstances. But why, why is it necessary? to enter into a strange environment in order to practice more? Why is the environment not adjusting so that there is a level playing field? Um, the second reason why it's very problematic is because having to 
acclimate and assimilate um, is exhausting. It's absolutely exhausting. It's fine. You never know if you're putting your foot in the right direction. What if you say something wrong? What if you come across in the wrong way? What if your accent is different from everybody around you? And immediately that accent is associated to the person who is not educated while you have the most extraordinary education and has achieved remarkably. That is exhausting. And that's not what the profession should be about. That's not what industry should be about. It really is about the uh, ability of each person to explore the full four corners of their capabilities to become the best. And at the moment, I fear that we have an affirmative action that is, in fact, uh, one that prioritizes white men and white women. It is not an affirmative action that prioritizes other people in South Africa. That is the reality. I mean, I'm not suggesting that white men in this profession are without difficulties, and I'm not suggesting they aren't capable. I am suggesting that, or I'm stating, that the structure of the legal profession in South Africa continues to be attached to and imbued with white male culture, mm-hmm. which is why sexual harassment continues at such high levels, and why men, when faced with issues of sexual harassment, shrug their shoulders and say, I was just telling her that she was beautiful, or what would you expect me to do, or even worse, or I don't know how to act around women if I'm not going to work with them. Professor Bonita Mayersfield, let me thank you so much for your time today. Uh, she's an associate professor of law at Wits University. Uh, you heard what she's had to say on this subject, that in its current state, you know, the way that the legal fraternity is set up is not to encourage the participation of women from the time, from the point of entry, to be able to reach at least the highest levels possible. And I think, you know, that context is so important when we look at the journey of somebody like Justice 